Shalom. Welcome back as we return to our discussion of Shemitah's inner message. We're in the midst of the description of the Torah, of the mitzvah of Shemitah and Parsha Bahar. There the Torah describes in greatest, greatest length what the mitzvah of Shemitah is all about. And as we've mentioned before, the Torah refers to Shemitah in this context only as Shabbat Ha'aretz, the Shabbat of the land. What is the secret of this special year? What is the secret of Shemitah? So we noted that the Torah here describes a number of aspects of the mitzvah of Shemitah, which will be fundamentally important for getting to the bottom of what Shemitah is all about. Firstly, the Torah describes Shemitah as being taught the Har Sinai, the mitzvah of Shemitah as opposed to the beginning of Sefer Vayikra, which was taught in the Ol Moed, <clears throat> in the Mishkan, the mitzvah Shemitah is taught by Har Sinai Limu. And then we are told that Kitavo El when you come to the land of Israel, Shani Noten Lachem, which HaKadosh Baruch Hu says that I am giving to you almost constantly. Shani Noten, Noten is in the present tense, Lashon Hoveh. Vishavta Aret Shabbat Lashem. And there the land shall rest a Shabbat for Hashem. And we mentioned that the verb and the noun of Shabbat is mentioned seven times in this context and the height of the description is describing the day twice as a Shabbaton Shabbat Shabbaton we pointed out the powerful words of the teachings of the Ramban in Parshat Emor the Ramban in Parshat Emor in the context of Shabbat tells us that Shabbaton is a mitzvah to retain the spirit of Shabbat beyond the prohibited acts, the malachot which are described in the Torah as being forbidden through the language of lo one should not do any melacha, which is a creative type of physical activity. That is not the be-all and end-all of Shabbat, says the Rambat. After all, the mitzvah of Shabbat is Shabbaton, to have a new experience. The spirit of Shabbat plays a fundamental role. The melachot are used as the paradigm, as the example of what we're supposed to reign from, but in order to be able to experience something that only Shabbat allows for. Use of the word Shabbaton in the context of Shemitah seemingly tells us two things. Number one, the forbidden activities that are forbidden on Shemitah, that are explicit in these psukim, are not all that Shemitah is supposed to be. Shemitah is not only sur meirah, it is not only a period where we do not perform certain activities, but it is fundamentally a period of asetov, a period where we try to achieve something. Shemitah is not just a year where we're restricted, it's a year through, 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 where through the restrictions we're permitted to be able to have a prescription for a period of life that is not possible any other year. And secondly, this idea of the Shabbaton being used of this context tells us that not all mentioned in the Pesukim explicitly is what that should be not, not be done. But even beyond that, in order to achieve the spirit of Shabbat, in order to the, achieve the spirit of Shemitah, and to be able to attain that which Shemitah uniquely allows, we have to understand its inner message and apply it. In fact, Rav Kook, in the Kuntras Achron, in his notes at the end of his Sefer Shabbat Aretz, his monumental work on the Allah of Shemitah, Ruf Kook tells us a fascinating thing. He says that although in the Torah there are explicitly only four malachot mentioned in Parshat Bahar, the Torah tells us, Lo tizra, you cannot plant in the field, 
you cannot gather normally in the field and in the kerem, in the vineyard. You cannot be zomer. You cannot prune. Nor can you gather normally. Those four malachot, zrira, zria, zmira, ksira, and bitsira, those four malachot, two of working in the field and two of gathering in the normal manner, those are not all that is prohibited. Says Ramban, says Rav Kuk, a fundamental idea based upon this Ramban. If someone would perform the malachot of the field, the normal way that he does in every other year, even if he did not perform these four malachot, which are explicit in the Torah, Nevertheless, if you ask me, says Rav Kook, I'm convinced that you violate an Isser of the Torah. Not an Isser lav, not a negative commandment as these explicit four acts, but rather a mitzvah say. The mitzvah say of Shnak Shabbaton Yela Aretz. Klalu Tashvita Himina Torah. Says Rav Kook, the concept of Shvita, of having this year as a year where you don't work normally in the field, is a mitzvah mina Torah. If someone would go and work in the field in the normal way, they would violate this mitzvah da'oraita of Shnat Shabbaton Yela'aretz. This concept of Shnat Shabbaton Yela'aretz therefore tells us, number one, additional pr- prohibitions. But most importantly for us, it tells us not the prohibitions and the restrictions, but the prescription. Shabbaton tells us Shemitah is wasted if it's a year merely where you don't work in the field, but you don't experience what Shemitah is all about. And therefore, in order for us to understand what Shemitah is all about, in order for us to connect to the Spirit, in order for us to use this year as a year which will not only be a year of positive experience, but a year which will transform our whole perspective on life, make us Shemitah Jews. Therefore, we have to look in these Pesukim and Parshat Bahar in order to understand what the Spirit is all about. And last week we noted that one of the most fundamental concepts mentioned in these Psukim is not only the restrictive aspect, but the positive aspect. Vaita Shabbat Haaretz Lachem Leochla. Shabbat Haaretz. This year of Shabbat, of the land, should be Leochla, should be to eat. Now that terminology is a very weird terminology. A year is for eating. The Gemara learns from this terminology that there is possibly even an element of a mitzvah of eating the fruits of perotvi, something which we'll have to discuss at greater length. But the concept and the question is apparent. Why would there be a mitzvah to eat fruits? What is so significant about the fruits? In order for us to understand, we have to continue where we started last week. And last week we noted that this term la'ochla is mentioned six times in the Torah in the context of having something being eaten. And there La'okhla returns us to the Jew. Sorry, even before Judaism was created, where Adam Arishon, the first man, the first individual in the world was commanded and was told that he was given the fruits of the world La'okhla. And this idea is repeated again to Noach two times, about that which in the world he is given, 
And then it appears again by the man, by the falling of the man in the desert, where the Jewish people are given the man le'ochla. And then again, we find it in the context of Shemitah. Is there any connection between these ideas? And what we started to see last week is not only is there a connection, but part of the spirit of Shemitah and part of its inner message is really to get us to an understanding of the purpose of the world from the time it was created, of what went wrong in mankind, what mankind failed to realize both at the time of Adam Arishon and later at the time of Noah. And then when the Jewish people came on the scene, when Avram Avinu came, and the Jewish people were then sent out of the land of Israel, into the land of Egypt, only to return afterwards, after sojourning in the desert, and eating from the man and returning to the land of Israel, this historical process is meant to teach us numerous lessons. Some of those lessons can only be properly understood based upon the backdrop of Shemitah. And therefore, the word law is used in order to be able to provide this backdrop, in order to be able to provide <clears throat> the background for understanding the purpose of existence. In order to understand, let's go back to Adam Arishon. Adam Arishon was commanded la At the same time, Adam Arishon was put in the Garden of Eden. And when put in the Garden of Eden, he was told, as we mentioned, la ulishamra, that his job is to work and to safeguard. These terms, could easily be understood that Adam Arishon was commanded to work the field, to work the Garden of Eden. However, that's very difficult to understand. After all, at this time, everything grew. There was no need to work the field because Adam Arishon had not yet eaten from the Eitz Hadad and had not yet been cursed with you will eat bread by the, by the sweat of your brow. This was the time where everything grew on his own. And therefore the Midrash tells us, La'avdo l'shamra, la'avdo means to perform abodat Hashem, the service of the Lord. U'lishamra means to safeguard, to be shomer the mitzvot of Hashem. In the Garden of Eden, all Adam Arishon had to do was to be involved in spiritual activity and his physical needs would be taken care of. Not only taken care of, but taken care of in the Garden of Eden with tremendous blessing, with lack of nothing. That was the goal of mankind. And if mankind achieved this goal, what a relationship they would have with God. If man didn't have to be involved in the fields, if man didn't have to weather the questions of what am I going to have to eat if I don't work hard? And then working hard and then questioning in his mind, well, where does my success really come from? Does it come from God? Or does it come from my hard work? Because I know that if I don't work hard, or if I don't work at all, nothing's going to happen. Being involved in the physical labors of the field is liable to cause two fundamental problems with man's attitude and his outlook. Number one, man is liable to see things from a completely different light. He's liable to see his own work as the reason for success. Not recognizing that when all is said and done, something grows because HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants it to grow. And secondly, when a man is involved in working, it's not so easy just to work for one's own daily bread. 
a man wants to acquire. He wants to attain. He wants to get more and more and more. Why just suffice with bread? I want to have the good stuff. I want to have top of the line. And therefore, when working in the field, a person often does not just work for his daily substance, but he works for it all. And he becomes overcome by the desire of acquisition. And it's this desire of acquisition which further removes him from his connection to HaKadosh Baruch. Further removes him from his realization that when all is said and done, man has that which God wants him to have. And therefore, if we go back to Gan Eden, we can understand very clearly why HaKadosh Baruch Hu would want to restrict man from having this test. Test of allegiance, test of understanding, test of outlook. By merely placing man in the Garden of Eden and saying, be involved in spiritual activity. Listen to that which I command you, be involved in the spiritual plane. And all your physical needs will be taken care of. It is for this reason that Rashi tells us that the first rain that the Torah says did not come down because man was not yet there in order to be obeyed. At Adama, but Rashi explains so simply, there was no need for working the land. Why would rain be dependent upon man working the land? And therefore he says, Oved here is Avodah Shebelev. It's the Avodah of Tfilah, of davening, of prayer. It was only when man came into the world and he davened that the first rains fell. How amazing it was when Adam and Rishon davened and immediately rain fell. We have some stories of this in the Gemara later. Rechoni Ama'agel would daven and put almost directly testing HaKadosh Baruch Hu and saying, it needs to rain right now. How apparent to all who saw the real source of sustenance. How apparent to all was God's place in the economy. However, Adam HaRishon was unable to maintain this because Adam Arishon ate from the ate from the Eitzadah. Why did Adam Arishon do something so foolish? Why did he not understand that God had commanded him all good with only one restriction? who don't eat from the tree of knowledge. Everything else was given to him. Every other tree you could eat from. Why would Adam Arishon be so foolish? to think that he could fool God, to think that he could fool his Creator. In order to understand, we'll have to a fascinating Midrash in the Pirkei de Rebbe Liezer, which, at the same time, as it's fascinating, is equally difficult to understand. And therefore, with all the questions that abound from this Pirkei de Rebbe Liezer, we are still going to present it because the idea is powerful and it allows us to see the beginning of a historical process which is going to challenge man at every crossroads, where it is going to provide man with the opportunity to be able to rise to the spiritual heights that only man is capable of, or to fall in utter despair. Says the Pirkei de Rebeliezer a fascinating thing. It quotes from the language of Pirkei Avot, and it says, Kina, jealousy, taiva, desire, and kavod, the want of honor, 
remove a person from this world. But the Lashon, the language of the Mishnah is Motzinet Ha'adam Min Ha'olam. Explains the Pirkei Eliezer, these were things that removed Adam, Adam Harishon from the world. And it says a fascinating idea, that the Malachi Asharet, a number of the Malachim, said to HaKadosh Baruch Hu at the creation of man, if you put man in the Garden of Eden, and you allow him to be involved in spiritual activities all day, and only then to reap the benefits, the physical benefits, he is going to arise to heights that angels could never arise to. After all, angels are not physical. And because they're not physical, they can't be involved in the physical mitzvot of the world. And their lack of involvement in the physical mitzvot of the world essentially means that their ability to serve God is limited. Man who sits in the world, who eats from the physical world, he can be involved in all the mitzvot. And therefore the Malachim understood that Adam, man, posed a danger to their lofty state. They would no longer be the eye of a Kodesh Baruch Hu, the apple of a Kodesh Baruch Hu's eye, because mankind would surpass them. And therefore the Malachim were worried. And some of these Malachim came up with a plan. They sent the most sly of all Malachim, Samech Mem, someone whose name is spelled Samech Mem Aleph Lamed. And due to the powers that some say in, in speaking his name, most know him only as Samech Mem. This angel Samech Mem was hired by the Malachim to go and find a way to remove Adam Harishon from this lofty status. To be able to make it that he will not possess this attitude of knowing that his spiritual pursuits will bring him physical perfection. And therefore explains Pirkei Rebliyazim Ma'asa Samach Mem Lakach Katshelo Samach Mem took his homies Viarat he looked for all, amongst all the creations of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and he looked for the most sly and the most evil. And that was the Nachash. The Nachash was sly and subtle. Samach Mem then went and possessed the Nachash. It says that the Torah asked Samach Mem, the world was just created. You already want to rebel. Samach Mem was not faced. And it says as follows. You might think that the Nachash was acting on his own, but it's not true. Everything in which the Nachash did, the Nachash's discussion with Chava, and the Nachash bringing Chava and Adam to eat from the tree of knowledge, was essentially the work of Samachmet. And it was all part of the plan of this evil angel, not to lose, that the angels should not lose their desired state in front of HaKadosh Baruch To not allow for a human being to be able to possess the spiritual powers of one who recognizes that his connection to HaKadosh Baruch Hu is what brings him physical success. And therefore, Adam Arishon 
would no longer be given the Garden of Eden. Adam Arishan would be kicked out of the Garden of Eden as he was. And he would be told, If you want to eat bread, you have to work hard. And now those two challenges that we had spoken about before come directly to light. In order for Adam Harishon to succeed physically, he has to work hard. And if he has to work hard, what's going to become of his spiritual pursuits? His spiritual pursuits, number one, would be limited in time. He would not have the time that he had before. In order, in the literal sense, because he'll be spending so much time, in the physical work of the field, and safeguarding from other individuals who might want to acquire. But more importantly, it will not only be a limit of time, but it will be a limit within his desired perspective. His perspective will now seemingly be inability to be able to recognize HaKadosh Baruch in the same way. After all, he's working for his bread. He's working for his fruit. He's no longer davening. And it all comes out. He has to work hard. And secondly, what's to stop man from wanting to acquire everything? And in fact, this story doesn't end at Adam Arishan. This story is a story that goes throughout time. And in fact, it comes right in the next generation to a very, very difficult ending. Cain and Hevel are the two sons of Adam Arishon. And these two sons of Adam Arishon we in fact know very little about from the Torah. We don't know the differences in their personalities except for one thing. We know their professions. The Torah tells us the Hevel Ayaru Etzon Heva was one who shepherded animals. But Cain was one who worked the ground. Now you might think, an, an unimportant piece of information. But yet if the Torah chooses to tell us this, and only this about Cain and Heva, evidently it's telling us a little bit more. And in fact, if you look throughout biblical times, you find that there is a direct contrast time after time, between those who are agricultural workers of the field and those who are shepherds, people who go and shepherd animals. If you look through the Avot, even to the time of Moshe Rabbeinu, you find that the great Jewish leaders were shepherds, were Ro'etzel, as opposed to the description that the Torah gives us of the Egyptians. The Egyptians were not only not Roetzon, not only were they not shepherds, but they used to till the ground and they hated shepherds. The Torah tells us, Ki to'avat Mitzrayim ko Roetzon. The abomination of Egypt was anyone who was a shepherd. Is this just matter-of-fact information presented in the Torah? Many commentaries point out, not at all. This is a description of a fundamental difference in preoccupation between two individuals. In order to understand, we'll read the beautiful ver- the beautiful description of Rav Hirsch in explaining why it is that the Torah chooses to tell us specifically about Cain and Hevel's profession in order to understand who they are. Rav Hirsch says as follows, Agriculture demands all a person's physical strength. He needs to devote his whole life to his bodily existence. The concept of kain, i.e. kana, acquisition, 
self-recognition, and the pride associated with acquisition, implicit in the terms, implicit in the terms Cain and Cana, are most evident in the farmer. The ground that the farmer has fertilized by the sweat of his brow has become part of his personality. He has made the ground bear fruit, and it becomes something of ultimate value for him. It becomes part of his personality. He holds onto it and settles it. To be sure, agriculture stimulates and develops civilization. Most inventions and skills may be credited to agriculture. The settlement of the land implicit in agriculture leads to the formation of society and state and the administration of justice. There are many positive aspects of agriculture, says Rafush. But most importantly is the idea of Kain Kana acquisition. One who works the land develops a connection to the land. He acquires the land and he becomes a man of possession. Rafush continues that although this is great, and has tremendous positive elements, it poses a tremendous spiritual challenge to the farmer. And this is notable in the agricultural societies of old. Says Refersh, I quote, On the other hand, the farmer is a slave to his field, and the field draws him towards it. Once he has placed the yoke of pursuit of acquisition upon his neck, his spirit also becomes subservient. This leads to slavery. Moreover, he will easily be brought to administration, of the forces of nature, upon whose influences the success of his field depend. Faith in God and in the superiority of man was first lost among the agricultural nations. It was there that idol worship first developed. Says Rav Hirsch, a fascinating truth. Involvement in agriculture is exactly what Samech Mem and his buddies wanted. Samech Mem wanted man involved in working the land, tilling the land, sweating, in order to acquire, not only to acquire his food, but to acquire his outlook on the world. An outlook of acquisition, an outlook of possession, an outlook of the more I work, the more I attain, the more I get, the more God is not involved in the picture. It is this individual who Cain manifested. Cain manifested the failure of mankind as working as an agricultural acquirer of the field, as a man of king. Hevel, on the other hand, chose a different profession. And Rav Hirsch explains his choice of profession was more indicative of his character, that he did not want to become a man of acquisition. In contrast, says Rav Hirsch, the life of the shepherd is most elevated. He is concerned principally with living things. His care of them arouses within him humane feelings and sympathy for suffering. His acquisitions are portable. The flock needs the shepherd's care, but their existence is not in his hands. Thus the shepherd is protected from the danger of overestimating his own value and that of his property. His profession does not occupy all his strength and efforts. His spirit is invested in the labor to a lesser degree and remains open to godly and humane values. For this reason, our forefathers were shepherds and Moshe and David also shepherded flocks. Working the land is fundamentally tied to the concept of private ownership. There is much significant to the fact that Hevel became a shepherd, while Cain, obsessed with Kenyan and acquisition, became a tiller of the land. Explains Rav Hirsch, this difference in personality of Cain and Hevel led to their difference in professions. Hevel understood that shepherding is a way to, number one, cultivate not the land, 
but one's attitude. To cultivate one's attitude of care and concern for one's flock, of care and concern for living beings, even if they are not human beings. Working the land provides the food and at the same time provides for the challenge of man being able to recognize that the true growth is dependent upon HaKadosh Baruch As the Midrash states, there is not one piece of ground of grass, not one blade of grass that did not have a malach, an angel going and hitting it and saying growth. Man, while working in the field, can fool oneself into thinking that growth comes from him. Not him with a capital H, not from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, but him with a lowercase. Him, man himself. Who man often transforms his own perspective of himself into that big H, into a God. This is the challenge. This is what Samech Mem very much understood. And this is why his success in bringing Adam Harishon to fail and to eat from the Eitz Hadad provided the challenge of mankind. Is mankind going to be able to realize who is really in charge of our sustenance? Adam Arishon, after his first failure, had two children, Cain and Hevel. Cain chose the path of acquisition, ultimately killing his brother, the shepherd. What would happen afterwards? The rest of early history tells the story of the continuation. It goes all the way to the time of Noah. And in fact, as mentioned, Noah is the next time that Lo'achla is used. And Noah, upon leaving the flood, upon leaving the Teva, upon leaving the Ark, he's faced with a challenge. What is he going to do to build the world? He had spent all his time in the Ark shepherding. And what does Noah choose to do? Vayachel Noah. Noah was chal. He became chulim. He removed his sac- sanctified status. And he planted a vineyard. While Rashi explains that this vineyard was a terrible thing, Noah could have planted anything and instead he chose to plant something which can be used to become drunk. And eventually Noah became inebriated and lost his lofty status. However, the Chatam Sofer says otherwise. The Chatam Sofer says Noah's original act was an act with tremendous promise. He was coming to rebuild the world. But unfortunately, Noah fell prey to the challenges of being Noveda Dama, to the challenges of being a worker of the field. And by being a worker of the field, he failed in his task. He became someone who had such a close connection to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and lost it, at least to that great state when standing on, when standing as a tiller of the soil. Being involved in agriculture poses challenges. The ultimate challenge of mankind is recognizing Hashem in a world where we're so involved in that which we possess. Could the lessons of Shemitah be specifically in this context? Could La'achla and part of the spirit of Shabbaton being recognizing HaKadosh Baruch Hu in ways we otherwise would not be possible? In order to understand this, we have to do one thing. Continue the story and come to an understanding of what the Avot chose as their professions. Why it was that Yitzchak chose to do some work in the land. What was the difference between Yaakov and Esav? And what happened when the Jewish people went to Egypt? All this in your Tashem in next year. Have a good day.